0: Powerful morning this morning, hey, powerful morning, uh, massive topic, massive topic for us to, to look at, um, and this evening we're going to continue on a similar theme, um, what I might do is, is just jump straight into it, we're not doing any music, uh, none of that palaver, just straight into it, just kidding, just kidding, just being, just kidding. Just, just being silly. <laughs> it's not all dross. No, we're going to get straight into the scriptures this evening, um, and we've got our awesome panel that are going to cover off some um, some pretty big time questions about God's eternal purpose. Um, like we looked at this morning, um, God has a, a, an eternal covenant that He's made with us as the church. Um, it is the most ultimate and intimate covenant um, for us as His people. Um, and so we're going to dive deep into that tonight, um, but I'll just start by reading the verse that we read this morning, Revelation nineteen seven to 9 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is a righteous axe of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Awesome, eh? So, So we have here, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. So like Greg shared about this morning, there's a a process called sanctification that we're to be on as a body of of being made ready as a bride, ready for the bridegroom. Um, And that was part one of a two-part picture, which I think Greg's going to continue on next week, about what it means to be clothed in fine linen and to perform what the scriptures tell us are the righteous acts of the saints. And there's such a key dynamic here for us to grasp, and that we've been hearing about the gospel not being a gospel of works or function, but of fellowship. And yet here we see that there are bright, clean garments that are the righteous acts of the saints. It doesn't say that the garments um, are, you know, are the righteous fellowship of the saints. It says that, that the garments are the acts of the saints, Um, Greg was sharing this morning about a future judgment for, for us as the body, and actually the Bible describes it as a judgment for works. So how do you reconcile a God who calls us to fellowship as a first place priority and yet makes judgment based on works? And I think these are some of the, the massive questions that we need to wrestle with because the two aren't separate, they're actually one. And that there's a certain kind of work that God is looking to, you know, for us to flow in and from that comes from a place of fellowship, not function. And yet when we're in fellowship with him, the, the acts that we do are righteous acts. The acts that come from and by His Holy Spirit within us. They come from His life being formed in us and they flow from His power. Um, You know, it says that anyone who serves should serve with the strength that God supplies. So, what is He saying? He's for serving. But he's for serving in a particular kind of way with strength, with power, with eternal power from the eternal substance of Christ in us. And so he wants to take us. From fellowship to function, to fellowship to function, to fellowship to function, a divine dance where our entire life is consumed in him, starting from fellowship, but then flowing through into the very nitty gritty of everyday life. And I feel like the scripture that we're going to look at this evening in in Ephesians chapter 5 is such a beautiful example of that. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And these verses are—they're—I was going to say—they're famous verses. They're, they're famous probably for the wrong reasons. Um, they get read generally at weddings um, and potentially if you're going through a Bible study on Ephesians. But to be honest, I—the I, only time I heard these verses referred to was if we were as a youth to do a, a, like a relationship style night or you know something like that where all of a sudden you talk about you know things to do with marriage. But actually, these scriptures here are so much bigger than that. They contain what Paul says, this great mystery for us as a church. They contain an eternal mystery for us to enter into, regardless of if we're married or single. It actually has nothing to do with the eternal covenant that he has for us, which he says takes the form of a, of a marriage covenant. So there's some key things in here. For us to unpack together. So, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we'll start at verse. Uh, actually, let's start at verse 21. It says this And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. So, husbands ought also to love their own wives even as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Awesome verses, eh? Awesome verses. and. You know, the, the natural divide in the Bible starts at verse 22, but I thought it's important to actually have a look at verse 21, because it kind of sets the scene for what we're looking at, which says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And like we talked about, this, the, these scriptures, while they might seem to be talking about earthly marriage, really Paul's saying that we, they're actually talking about a great mystery that's been hidden in God from the beginning of creation. It's a marriage covenant between Christ and the church. And he says we subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Why would he start off that way? Because ultimately, this covenant is a covenant between us and him. And the nature of our eternal covenant between us and him will define every single relationship that you find yourself a part of. It says that the great commandment is to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind and strength and to love one another and those two are eternally interconnected in that our love for him and the nature of the relationship that we share with him will take expression through natural, earthly relationship, particularly marriage. And so we, we see in here um, a, a, a divine kind of living where a husband thinks more about his wife than he does about himself. He lays down his life for his wife, and a wife doesn't consider her own life as being her own possession, but subjects herself and submits herself to ultimately the head of the household, who's her husband, as an as a um, an expression of her of her devotion to Christ. Her love for him defines the way that she treats her husband, and her husband's wife for Christ defines the way that he loves his wife. And so it would be awesome for us um, as a panel to to dive into this this evening and really to look at how um, linked these two things are, our eternal covenant and the expression that that takes um, in in our natural relationships, if that's cool. You can say, yep, sounds good, cool, I'm with you, all good, I'll come and sit at the front table, sweet. All right. So Mike, might kick us off with a couple of questions that I've got here, and uh, then I think we'll just work our way through this, this cool passage line by line. So I've got here, uh, why has God given marriage, and what is the purpose of this marriage covenant that he's created and made? Why has God given marriage, and what is the purpose of the marriage covenant? Mel, I don't know if, do you want to kick us off? Yes, yes.
1: Um, yeah, I I just absolutely love these verses, and I love that it actually starts with, wives submit to your husbands. I actually love that it starts with the woman uh, being command, uh, commanded, everything he says is really a command, um, to submit to your husbands. Um, so the, the purpose of marriage on the earth is this beautiful uh, opportunity to cultive, cultivate a uh, a, a practical oneness in knowing, having this oneness with God. And so it's like the bride is not prepared in heaven, she's prepared on earth. And so it's a practical environment to come to know, um, or not even come to know, because we come to know through our relationship with him, this marriage covenant, um, and but it's it's the way of divinely demonstrating what we know, the the, the reflecting what's been revealed um, on the earth. Because as we heard this morning, we've been called uh, as the church uh, to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God, the to demonstrate the very presence um, of of God and His people, which is too that have become one, um, and so the purpose of marriage on the earth is to prepare us for that divine marriage to come um, to start
0: yeah, yeah no that's that 's awesome, you know and I think I, I love what you said there that the purpose of marriage on earth is to prepare us for the divine marriage that's to come hey you know and I think to me that's what's so so awesome about these verses here you know is just thinking about God's design for marriage and it wasn't an afterthought hey you know it's not like that you know Paul's come along and he thinks man what's a typology that I could use to describe what relationship with God looks like um oh actually marriage fits you know you know, it, it's that's a back-to-front way of thinking. Actually, marriage was in God's heart from before creation, and that He created marriage. It's actually in the first verses, some of the first, sorry, some of the, in the first couple of chapters in Genesis that we see right from the get-go. God created marriage as a prophetic picture of who or, or what he's invited us into as Christ in the church. So it's not an afterthought, it's his primary intention. And actually natural marriage is a reflection of heavenly marriage. It's not that heavenly marriage is to be a reflection of our natural marriages. Because if you're looking here first, you'll never understand the nature of the eternal covenant that he has with us. Actually, when you understand him and what he's called us to, it actually brings clarity and makes sense of your natural marriage now in a way that it never would have without divine revelation. Hey, so it really is. His ways are not our ways, but when we know his ways, he actually flips us the right way around. He starts us from the right starting point, which is eternal things, heavenly things, spiritual things so that we can make sense of what it is that he's given us naturally and physically now.
2: It also signals the heart of the Father, that he's about relationship first, fellowship over function. So when you understand the design of heaven is fellowship, relationship first, you understand the Father's heart rather than someone that just wants you to do things for him. See, so that changes your whole alignment because when you understand that God created marriage for the church and himself, that is communicating so much about the Father. And that's where we've got lost as the church because we think the Father's all about function. And so that takes you down a process, firstly about function, of you being functional, but the Father's not. The Father's relational. So the entire gospel you have to ask yourself is, did I receive a functional gospel or a relational gospel? And it completely defines how you live on earth. And it defines your physical relationship. See, if our physical marriages are built on function, that's not healthy. Because it's out of alignment with your relationship with the Father. If the design of marriage is fellowship from the father to his church Then certainly our physical marriages have to be fellowship with one another Oneness And that's where all the heat starts to happen Because you bring two flesh together And you want to formulate one spirit Flesh has to die Well if flesh doesn't want to die Then it's flesh eats flesh And that's the marriage you have, which can be reflective of your marriage to Christ. Spirit, flesh, ain't a good mix, is it? It's spirit and spirit, which is fellowship. So you get to see so much about the Father's heart through understanding that he is the creator of marriage covenant between himself and his church. Because he says, I'll never break the covenant. You can guarantee on that, I won't break because I'm the designer of the covenant. So I will fulfill my word to you. Wow. And I guess
0: to me, I just think about the, the, the scriptures throughout history you know you see his faithfulness time and time and time and time again you know even in light of unfaithfulness of the of the church or of israel back towards him hey you know and that's why these scri- the scriptures are, are, are so incredible you know because they describe what it can what it can look like where it's not just god loving us and us living for us but actually it's him loving us and us loving him, you know, that to me, that's the, that's the divine mystery, you know, it's no longer a lopsided relationship anymore, where it's just about him loving you, and you being almost just remaining like, it's childish thinking, if you just think that it's about God's love for you, which it it is, but that's one part of a two-part picture, eh, you know, that there would be this expression of love and devotion back to him, you know, Um, and so that's, Uh, To me, that's his
2: purpose. Because that's the evidence of relationship. Relationship is not one way, is it? Relationship is two way. So God has to implant his love into us through his power so we're able to fulfill the commandment. It's just beautiful. It really is. It's the most beautiful love story ever written between God and and his prized possession called the church. He does it all so we can enter into all and experience what it is to be one with God.
0: All right, cool. So i got here, why are there different roles for a husband and wife in the marriage covenant, and what does this highlight about our eternal marriage covenant? So I'll just read these scriptures again, and it'll be cool to work our way line by line. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. Now, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, I'm just wondering how that's sitting with us at the moment, that, that first verse, if we can honestly... Say how does that sit for us? I, I'd be keen to to hear, because um, I can understand how that can seem quite um, weighty, but maybe a bit um, well, that seems a lot for for the wives, you know. But I just also I want to start with this as is that this verse hasn't come out of nowhere. The first three chapters is the outpouring of Christ's love and what he's done as the groom, this love that is so eternal, so abundant, so all-consuming, that it's it, it, if, we, if that's revealed, uh, it's actually al- almost autonomous and involuntary to be like, Submit to that, um, to want to support your groom on the earth, and I guess that submission is another word. I go, wives support your husband, and um, um, it's interesting that word. Wives isn't isn't actually uh, descriptive of a married woman as such. A married woman, it's just women, ladies, and so it's almost you know the submission. And I love that it says, um, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And this other version I was reading, it says, um, as tender, like as your heart is tender to the Lord. And I thought, that is so key. Because how how we as women um, relate to the Lord, however the heart is, it's only a soft heart, a heart that is tender towards him because she knows the love that that has given her life that has given her um, a new life to live uh, is is the heart that can submit uh, to that love and um, that naturally submits to the the husband the 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 head of the house um, it's such a beautiful thing and i just I just want to read this out. Um, this is something that Art Cat said. He said, The most profound ministry of women to church is the demonstration of the essence of femi- uh, femininity of truth because that is the eternal designation of the whole church as the bride of Christ. We are the militant company of Christ now on the earth, but our eternal designation is as a bride. Therefore, we need to see that bridal quality. Oh. Depicted before us by women who are believers, women who want to demonstrate that have demonstrative duties because of a love with their groom over their rights. They 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 love to be in service and of supports um, and being um, giving permission. I love Melissa. I, me and Melissa were having this beautiful chat the other day, and she said, "You know, to be." permissive to to give permission for another and i i think you know within marriages when we narrow it down it's like are we being supportive of the christ in each other so women not just wives like women submit to the word because i love my groom when i hear him through another it's a submission it's a it's a i i must hear from you and i want to hear from you and receive from you um you know, that quality we where Art Kat said, we need to see that bridal quality. Now it doesn't you don't have to become a physical bride to have the bridal quality. It's it's not the quality you're not qualified when you get married to have the bridal quality. It's that we've been qualified by Christ to be partakers in this divine calling. That's how we've been made qualified, and that's what gives us the bridal quality. It's not um, through a marriage certificate that qualifies us. So this isn't a only for married women. It's for women. And we have this high calling to demonstrate something very different from what the world is asking of us today um, and to almost cultivate and preserve the femininity of the truth because the femininity of the truth needs to support the masculine Um, and yes we've been made different for that very reason but it's to support to create a complete picture remember God said that he created when he created man he created man and woman and it's only later that we read that he separated the flesh so our ministry, our identity, as women submit to, to men support um, your husbands, is what that's saying is, as to the Lord. So as you love the Lord and as you submit to him and as you support his word on the earth, because we know where he is, the right hand of the Father. So our role t- today is to demonstrate the word on the earth and to be pillars for the truth. Um, and that's, I think, what it means to submit to the Lord as well, and to submit uh, to one another, and especially our husbands. Yeah.
0: And that's so key, eh? You know, like like you're saying that that this isn't actually about male or female. You know, it, it's about it's it's about a response to him, eh? Hey? You know, and and to me, it's, it's interesting. You know, while this is potentially, while it, we, it would seem like this is addressed to woman, actually, like you're saying, yeah, that's right. If, if as the church we're called to be the bride, then the guys get out of it maybe just for a short little short little temporary stint, but for eternity, actually, you know, you're like, what does it say, your designation as as a bride, you know? And really, you're not, you know, it's it's like... Which starts now, you know what I mean? You know, and so all of these passages that talk about the quality of of submission and what it means for a bride to submit to the to a husband, actually, they're the, they're divine characteristics. Hey, you know, they're not they're not woman's characteristics. They're they're divine, you know, and therefore all of us, male or female, to have this posture of of heart that comes under him and that. Uh, you know, and whose lives have been lost for his sake. Hey, you know, so.
2: What makes this tricky is to truly grasp this without this really upsetting you, is you need to be one with him. You actually need to have come into oneness of the spirit because the mind of Christ, looking at this, looks at it completely different to the mind of man. When the mind of man tries to understand we go this way, when you look with the mind of Christ, because your mind's been renewed, you go that way. And this is why Jesus says, you know, before anything else, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Because if you don't, when these types of things come up, you'll be bamboozled and you'll get very probably offended. So we have to come into the position of one, which is the spirit, then the position of two, which is the physical. Okay? outside of that if we start in position two that's why you get this expression of the world of feministic thing and that then comes into the house it's called the Jezebelic spirit and that's what that is it won't surrender and submit but now it's in here it should never be in here okay it's that's the spirit of the world in the house okay and it's horrible because the position Mel is describing is strength. It's a position of absolute strength. When you go read what Peter wrote about being a godly woman, man, that is a position of purity, strength in the Lord, because the woman has surrendered and given her entire life over to her lover.
1: And it says that she's demonstrate. She can demonstrate to her husband, unbelieving husband, without even saying a word.
2: That's right. And she and it says, don't even say a word. Hey, like you're saying to him, let your behaviour be the divine demonstration of the Christ in you. It's so powerful. But don't hear weakness and patheticness and this woman that's just like you know. I think I used this a couple of weeks ago. Within me and Danny, you know, Danny's got to play the keyboard. She's got to be with the kids. It's it's nothing to do with that. It's a position of absolute strength, this woman.
1: And it's sorry, I just want to add. It's amazing how the strength comes out when she feels her groom is being tarnished, or her groom is being attacked, or her groom is being inaccurately. Misrepresented and and i've ex, i've experienced this with my own husband in in a scenario and and with christ and I just want to give these two examples because it, it just came to my spirit to just another just another because it it's not enough just to talk about where the bride and the groom like there has to be we have to understand that ephesians starts narrowing it down like we he, talks about the richness and the fulfillment that Christ gives us but then it narrows it right down to all right now to now that you know this what Christ has done you need to walk this out and so it becomes this practical element of where it narrows everything down into your relationships and so it's not just spiritual there has to be a physical reflection of what's spiritually been revealed and so i have this I have these examples where um, a few good years ago, um, someone, a, a woman in, in, a, you know, in a position of authority and leadership um, had talked about Kirk in a way uh, in, in front of other people that was quite mocking and just really not nice. And um, it came back to us and it came back to me and <laughs> it could have been an attack on me, like the feeling of, wow, wow. That's such a misrepresentation of who he was, and um, I remember having a chat with Greg about what to do because I was, I was so, I couldn't leave it alone. It wasn't okay to for what had happened, and he said, "You need, you need to go talk to her." And I really didn't want to do that, um, just because of uh, the position she was in, and this was for my own growth, you know. Um, and so I, I went to her and I put it on the table and. Um, she kind of laughed it off and didn't think it was a big deal. But you know, this was a lesson for me. Of you know, when when Christ says, um, "Now walk worthy," it's gonna there's gonna be situations and the very um, things of life that are going to create opportunities for things within us to be tested and for love to be perfected. Um, and so, had the conversation. And I had to be upfront and truthful, uh, and not stroke anything or worry about what this person was going to think of me or if things were going to get bad for me. Because at the end of the day, I'm one with my husband, and what you say about him is saying about me, you know. And so it's the same with Christ. And I remember in a discipleship group we were talking about things, and um, it came up about a song where it talks about, you know, Christ is the hope. And that he doesn't disappoint, you know, the scripture says that. And someone said, Oh, well, he does, like, I've been disappointed, and this and this happened, da da da. da." So I don't know if that's true. And just this in me of like, No, he does not disappoint, he does not disappoint. What, who, Christ he is completely credible, he says what he does, he, all hope lies in him, and and so I needed to say something, I couldn't just sit and, and hear this, it was like, no, that's not who he is, that's not who he is, this is who he is, and, um, you know, so it's, This love relationship we have with him as our groom and the lover of our souls is going to test us on the earth. And this is part of cultivating this oneness is when we we know our conscience has been crossed or our heart or something feels not easy. And uh, the strength rises up to, to speak out and to stand up in support of your love, you know.
0: Uh, and to me, that's what it means to be one in heart. You know, like it's it's not just you and your husband as now two separate individual beings. Actually, you've you've been joined. You've been joined in a covenant where your your life has is now hidden in his, hey, you know. So, but do we? I just want to pause for for a moment to see if we've got any any questions about those first first couple of verses. We can just. For this to be a real interactive time. If you do, yell them out so that, I, so that we don't have to run around. Do you want to say the question? I'll repeat it so that people online can hear. So, just so for um, for everyone online. So the question was, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, this this uh, this position of um, of submission where the wife submits to the husband. Um, and the question was, how does that relate? Say, for example, in our workplace, do women need to submit to men in the workplace, or what what does that look like? So, yeah.
1: Well, I think, um, and I probably didn't do a good job with this it says you know submit as you submit to the Lord and so first and foremost when we are submitted to Christ we yeah we find ourselves you know submitting to yes people in our workplace and it says you know um honor your masters honor your you know those who are in authority over you um, pray for them so yes there is a there is a call to um, submit and serve those who are over you um, as, as you would to the Lord
2: Those being women as well So if you're a woman in leadership And your boss is a woman Then you submit to her So it's not based around male, female It's just those in authority So this is in the context of the kingdom Of the spirit, the kingdom of light So we have to be careful So what male saying is yes we all come under the authority of those that have been given authority whether it's male or female in the workplace but this is a different context this is about spiritually becoming one
0: and i think authority is such a massive thing in god's kingdom you know whether it's in marriage whether it's in the workplace because the nature of our response to authority is going to be really it's going to be the same in all of those environments right you know like if if you know it, it talks about people in the last days, and one of the signs that things are getting really dark is that people will despise authority, you know, um, and and so whether that, you know, whether that's in the workplace, whether it's in marriage, I remember I got some marriage advice back in the day by, I can't even remember who it was, some older guy, and he said, if you're looking for a wife, look for, look to see how the woman treats her father, because how she treats her father is how she's going to treat you. And looking back on that, I was like, actually, that's quite profound, you know, because the nature of our submission to authority is actually going to take expression in whatever relationship that we're in, you know. And so, you know, all of these, you know, all of these environments really are are given for our own growth, whether it's marriage, whether it looks like being able to submit to one another in the body, whether it looks like, you know… you know, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher—the fivefold being, um, you know, in, in submission to one another. To, to me, it's that it's all the you know, it all takes the same form. Hey, you know, the, so.
2: the key is your submission to the Father. You cannot submit yourself to man unless you're submitted to the Father, and that's why it says, "As to the Lord." That's male or female. We love to think, "Oh, I'm submitted to God." And then we reject man. You're not submitted to God. So what has to happen is the pride in you needs to die. Then there needs to be the spirit of humility that's birthed in you to come under man. So if that hasn't happened, we just kid ourselves. Oh, I'm submitted to God. Eh, Man, that's the evidence that you're actually not submitted to God. So if we're not submitted to God, you can forget all of this. You will not have a marriage here, and you will not have a marriage here that is in alignment to what he says. So the number one position is the most important, essential position, whether you're male or female, because there's no way I can love Danielle the way I'm instructed if I'm not submitted. The whole thing is love and submission. It's in every spiritual relationship so there's only two things you love me I surrender then the design is I love my wife she surrenders then the design is the eldership loves the church surrenders and it all works but if surrender and submission is not the number one in your heart you get division
1: and I love where it says about the authority you know with women submit to your husband's it always later in the verses will say how the husbands have to be submitted to the lord, and it 's like don 't forget you have a master in heaven, and I feel like that 's a really uh, not severe but it 's a it 's a very sober sober reminder um that you know God is very careful with authority and that he you know he's not he he, he rejects any sort of Um, controlling or lording over but he's very quick to remind, you know, when when to submit, to remember that every person who's an authority has a master in heaven. Yeah.
0: And I love that in these verses, whenever he talks about surrender and submission, it's always about your role. It's never, there's never any condition to say if the other person does theirs, then you should do yours, you know, because ultimately, like you're saying, it's not, it's not about that at all. It's actually an expression of your submission to him, which then comes through a natural relationship, hey, you know, Um, and so I think, you know, it says this and, you know, following on right from that passage, it says, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of um, of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as man pleases, but of slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good render service to the Lord, not um, and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free, you know? And and, and to me, he's, he's saying, guys, it's, it's actually not about looking towards the other person and to see how are they treating you. It's about playing and performing your role well because you're more concerned, actually, in the expression of your role about pleasing him and not the other person, you know? No longer looking for how you're treating the other person and the response that you're looking back to them, but actually concerned about, like your life being hidden in him, and everything that you do being for his sake and, and no longer for your own, you know. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. All right. Any any other questions or, or comments?
2: Do you like the topic? Yeah, love it. This one challenges to the core because it's you're, we're being called to live an eternal, not an earthly life. See, so we can't live this out in our strength. You cannot live this out. So we're back to what we looked at this morning. Eh? it's what gospel did you receive? The the only gospel that empowers this is the powerful gospel that enables you to actually be able to live in this thing, you know. But the word I just want to say this, the word subject or submission means right alignment. So actually you are aligning your life to him when you surrender or submit. And that's what we miss. We think it's a horrible word, it's a beautiful word to align one's life to the creator so the creation aligns itself to the one who created her. It's perfect harmony and oneness. It's the most beautiful thing to surrender your life to the one who gave you life. And we fight that because we haven't yet been released from ourselves. And so we see it all through the negative. We see surrender as negative. It's positive. It's the door to life. And we wonder why I'm not in life. It's because I'm actually rejecting the way to life. And I stay in me because I can't come under someone else. You know, I cannot love Danielle the way I've been commanded to love my wife. Unless I'm a man who has surrendered to love. Not the law, love. Which means I must have received love to be able to love. I can't love out of Greg Simnor. And so if behavior is greater than my ability to love, that's a hell marriage. Because as soon as the behavior and the behavior come up against each other, where's the glue? We are literally going to rip one another apart. It becomes a lust fest. You need to have done this for me. You should have given me that. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to fulfill me. You had me at hello. (laughs) This is how it comes. It's this Hollywood rubbish that we buy into called emotional hype and we go looking for it going, you're going to fulfill me. I've been looking for you my entire life. The church even teaches this stuff. Go find the only person on the planet that God has for you so you can be complete. What a load of rubbish. But we buy into it so we go looking and then we find the one and they don't complete us. What happened? come on, you're supposed to fulfill me. Who told you that? Well, you're supposed to fulfill me. So what you get is two people coming together to get. And as soon as you start that, you've lost. And one of the things that has been lacking and severely lacking in the body of Christ, and look, I got married without knowing this knowledge, but the thing I teach everyone now before they get married is do you know the purpose of this marriage covenant? Because if you don't know the number one primary purpose of God, you may want to think about not actually getting married. Because the motivation and the why behind this will help you in tough times. When you know the joy set before you and why the male is called to love and the female is called to align her life to the male, and you can see that in the future... You work everything out. That's great. And just like the covenant is, divorce isn't an option. Murder could be, but divorce <laughs> isn't. <laughs> just joking. But you work through because you're both committed, surrendered, I should say, then committed to the eternal purpose of your covenant. And that's why both people must be surrendered to the Father for it to work. Just for clarity's sake, because like, there's people that have been watching online, and stuff. what about when you're in an unsafe relationship? Mm. So, the question is what about when you're in an unsafe relationship? Which can be physical, emotional, okay? So, what I would advise is have some time out. Okay, so you can have some time out from the marriage covenant and seek help. And I would advise that strongly. If you find yourself in a relationship where you are being abused physically, spiritually, emotionally, being downtrodden, then it's fine. I would seek counsel wherever you are. If that's a leadership, an eldership, if that's friends, and seek wisdom. But that doesn't mean you have to divorce. Now that may unfortunately be an outcome over time. Because it takes two people to make a relationship. Why did Moses give a certificate of divorce? Jesus said because of the hardness of your heart, but it was not that way from the beginning. And so this is the challenge. If you're in a covenant and only one person is fulfilling, but once again, the dynamics of each covenant can be very different. So that's very different from a husband that's just sitting on his chair with his feet up watching the football and doesn't want to actually be part of the church, isn't it? Than someone emotionally, physically beating you, abusing you. So it's okay to take some time out, seek counsel, seek wisdom, seek help and remove yourself from that situation because God would not want that for anybody. That help? Thank you, that's a great question. <laughs>
0: and like you said, I think for for the for the majority of people, like obviously, we know that even in New Zealand, that's a, a big thing, right? But for a lot of people, you know, that's that's not the case. You know, for, for for the for the majority of people, hearing, it's you know, there's a need for each person to play their own role well within the marriage covenant and not look for an easy out of God doing a divine work in you through the marriage covenant to actually have his life and nature formed in you so that you can actually live out what it is that he calls us to, hey, you know Um, so, yeah
2: It's why um, yeah, we unfortunately look, I'm guilty too is that if we took some time and really sought God on his heart and sought the person that has the same heart as the Father, then we wouldn't find ourselves in some of the situations we do. It's like we go blindly into marriage without wisdom. And then it's, oh my goodness, we're all now going backwards at 100 miles an hour trying to fix stuff. This is why Paul says... Maybe an option is don't get married. Maybe that would be the best option, meaning physical. You're married, you're in a covenant of marriage. If you do, though, make sure you are equally yoked, which does not mean non-Christian Christian. It means, do you all have my mind? Are you all surrendered? Are you all in love with me? Are you all wanting the same thing? Is the person you're marrying going to be an anchor or your cheerleader? Are they going to speak life or are they trying to suck life? This is what you need to know before you make this covenantal step. But we don't take the time because we're so eager to get married. And to be honest, marriage, when flesh is in the marriage, and we are flesh and spirit, but when flesh, it can be hell. Real hell, especially if you're wanting to live for him and the person you're married to doesn't. It's like, and then what does love then look like? How does love look like and what does love look like? How do you honour him and cover, but you've got to honour him and then be beaten up for loving him by the one you're in a covenant with? because they don't necessarily want what you want in him because they're not one with him. There's all these dynamics, and that's why, man, I would say to you, if you're not married, but you desire to be married, seek first the kingdom revelation of why he gave marriage. And don't marry anyone. That's a bit strong, but marry someone who has that revelation as well, or is at least hungry For that revelation Because we jump into this thing man And we go I don't want that Did you have that discussion? No Did you have that discussion? No What about that discussion? No Did you talk? (laughs) No (laughs) You know what I mean? She just looked good (laughs) He looked great You know what I'm trying to say though, eh? Take time. Take time with the Father and get him to show you his design and look for that person. Linda, did you have a question? Okay, cool. Sorry, I thought you did that. Do you want to ask a question? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's where the submission is, to God.
0: I oh, so just for the
2: recording. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Uh, yeah.
0: The question was, what, does, what role does God's agape love play within the marriage, and why is that so important?
1: Yeah, so I'll read this out, Linda, because this really, this really stuck out to me, because I was, I was thinking to myself, what, what gives us that dunamis power to submit because I know in my flesh that that's not something that um, like pre Christ before Christ marriage submission that word it would have just been repulsive like absolutely repulsive to to me um, and and so I I was like Lord you know what it's that dunamis power. That wants to that that causes us to submit and come under and serve and and I was like, why what is it lord like give give me one statement you know and i loved I read this in Colossians, and what I love about- Col- Colossians is it's just this this book that's just everything surrounds Christ. It's like Christ is in, through, everything is reconciled to him. It's like, you know, when Paul says, I'm compelled by love, it's like Paul is surrounded by love, being swallowed up by love, that his life is now hidden in Christ. And everything he does is like hedged in love because he's just love, love, love. <laughs> and I'm like, that is Christ. He's just love, love, love. He, he absolutely surrounds us. When, when our D-Day comes with him. He surrounds us, he hedges us in, compels us by love, that we have no escape, we have no other option to, but, but be swallowed up by this love. Um, and so it says in Colossians um, 1, um, let's read from 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, Even that, fully pleasing him, that is a power. That's a power that has come from being loved on, that you just want to please him. Fully please him with your life uh, continuously. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks, as we heard this morning, to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And here at verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Oh. It's, it's the reality of that the reality of the kingdom where the son rules has authority you want to submit to that authority you want it because the lordship of Christ is the lordship of love it's it's a oneness and that i think is the very that revelation of that reality of Christ that love that compels us and holds us hostage conquers us completely is is it It's like that power that keeps us, it actually keeps us to the ground. It's the humility of spirit, that the power, it keeps us um, under the banner of love. And then we find ourselves blossoming. And when he appears, we appear. And as you said this morning, Greg, I wrote it down. Um, I just loved it. Um, What did you say? Uh, When... um, when we find Christ, you said, when you find Christ, you find you. And I thought, that could not be any truer. That's, that's, that is the truth, that um, yeah, we find our lives in him.
2: Mm. You have to realize Paul is, that's just his testimony. So you don't go trying to chase and understand that in your mind. He is confessing his reality of love. That's for the church. So you can't claim that and go, I'm in that, unless you're in that. So the challenge is he's confessing. It's his testimony of the love that has entered into him and him into love. So he testifies. He's prophesying a reality that's a future in Christ today for the body. And if you go read Ephesians three, fourteen to nineteen, he also tells you through his confession how he came into that love. So it's the same way. And so that's the beauty of Paul's letters. They're not theological letters, they're confessions of the reality he lives from. It's beautiful.
0: And just coming back to a question, Linda, you know, talking about the importance of a love within a relationship or within a marriage, and I think you know we've talked a lot about wives being in submission or subjection to their husbands, but actually the other part of it is husbands loving your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. You know, and I, I know that for me, you know, we've talked about what does it mean for the wife to come under. But actually, probably, the, the, you know, the, the biggest learning, one of the biggest learnings for me in my marriage, has actually been the flip side: is that what does it mean to be a a strong godly head and a godly leader? You know, and um, and that you know, naturally for me, even in a personality sense, it's so much has in the past been so much easier to go with the flow than it has been to actually, um, you know. Lead my wife and my family in a way that leads them to him you know and it 's not taking authority for the sake of it, but it 's actually seeing what his purpose is. You know, obviously, we're talking about his eternal purpose and what that looks expressed in a family, and what it means to actually lead my wife and my children to him. Because sometimes that looks like having hard or difficult conversations, or being able, you know, to, to define the priorities of our household and and that sort of thing. And I think the biggest thing and the biggest learning for me has has been that if I don't do that, someone else will. You know, and actually, I've been given a you know, husbands have been given a divine responsibility to play that role, even if they're unaware of it, that's still the position that God has given just because, you know, because he's said that he's given man and woman as a prophetic picture of what Christ and the church look like, you know. And so, you know, while we've talked a lot about submission, there's actually a, a... Equally as important a role for for godly men to be the heads and to lead their wives, and that takes it's it's not a natural thing as submission requires. Like you're saying now, it's it's um, it's it's the substance of Christ. It's it's equally for husbands to be able to to, to become godly leaders, so that you know that. That they can play that role in, in their household as well, you know. And I think you're sharing, Greg. Uh, um, I think it might have been last Sunday night, you know, and, and talking about actually the way of the of of the world naturally and physically. The spirit of of this age is actually of a of a floppy man and a strong dominant wife, you know, and that's not a matter of personality, actually. In a godly household, personality is completely irrelevant. It's about spiritual authority, you know? And regardless of personality, a male needs to lead his wife and his family in the direction of, of seeking first the kingdom and its righteousness, you know? Um, and so there's a, there's a role there for, for both people to play.
2: You know? Which means the man, the male, should firstly be the example And we're talking about a servant leader Not a leader who lords over A leader who comes to the bottom and lifts everybody up That's what we're talking about You know, there's this whole thing in Christianity You must submit to me, I'm the head of the house, you will do what I say That is not what we're talking about We're talking about a man who lays his life down Because he is the reflection of the one he loves he is the bride he is the groom and it's the it's it's one and the same thing just working out through relationships so we're talking about a godly man as a servant man he's a humble man he loves like the father loves he lays his life down he puts himself second all the time not cuz he's a martyr because he's humble because he's a man full of strength because he's met his weakness he surrendered his strength, physical strength, to the Father. The Father has, is working in him, and he is a servant. He is a bond servant. Authority is defined by surrender and identity. You see, too many people are committed. They're not surrendered. So it's like in marriage. We're committed. You need to be surrendered. Surrendered. See, when you just get committed, you're committed really to yourself, but you haven't surrendered yourself. And that's a massive issue that runs through this covenant, this covenant, and that covenant. And so what we're talking about, just so it's clear, we're talking about godly men who are the head of their wife, as Christ is the head of the church, are servants. So they lead in the front, and they're at the back, and they can be in both places, and they lift
1: and it, it says that as well. hey. It says, um, you know, remember that, you know, women are the weaker vessels, like the, we, the wife are the, we, the weaker vessels. Therefore, with understanding, dwell with her. And again, you can read that and go, oh, woman, weak. No, what, what it's saying is is a picture of Christ who left heaven, the ultimate groom, with strong initiative, Took the first step and left what he knew, all his glory, it, being worshipped, came down to dwell with his people, to dwell with the church with understanding that he came and he identified with his people. And because he knew, he knew what we are like people. And he, he came and left his heavenly realm to come and dwell with us with understanding in order that we would know that love, that we would come to, to see that through his life and through his death, um, he was inviting us into the Father's purpose. So it. Thank you. It's an invitation. He came and invited us to participate in the same purpose um, that he was living for. Um, so, yeah.
2: This is why there's such an attack On the covenant of marriage and what it is to be a male and a female. This is where all the gender stuff. So, what's happening in the world is a direct attack on God's design because the enemy knows if he can mess up design, he messes up nations. And it's rampant. And so, more and more as we go forward, we're going to be real aliens on this planet. Man, it's whatever you want it to be is cool. And over the last five to 10 years, the male has been attacked and taken the mickey of. If you watch all the TV programs, it's the male is useless and there's an elevation in females around the world. Okay? I'm not saying women aren't leaders. I'm not saying that. But if you see what's happening, the design is being changed. And women are having more of a voice and the male are stepping back. It's Antichrist in its design. Okay, because the design was designed before any of us were here. It's a demonic attack on God's design. The world will reap the fruit of it. And so as the church, we must understand in the spirit this. This is a spiritual understanding. It's about having his mind. Otherwise, if you put your mind on this, you won't come under the pattern, which means you won't receive the life. As a female, the design is designed to come under. It's protection. So like us, we are designed to come under his wing, male and female. Okay, So you've got to see it firstly through that lens. Every one of us, male or female, are designed to come under the wing of the father. Then fathers become the wing in the physical. Okay, And so I and Danielle are very different. Even just in design, look at us physically, we're different. I could beat her up easy, although she's a good fighter. (laughs) But physically we're different. Okay? There are attributes to the male and there are attributes to the female. Generally the female is a nurturer. The father is a protector. Does that mean the father can't nurture? No. Does that mean the mother can't protect? No. But there is design, creativity that God has given the male. The physical form shows you this. The muscles on a man, when they are, you know, a woman with muscles, that's interesting. You know, the bodybuilders. But it's like cool if you're into that. But you know, you hear them say, hey, the design and the pattern is very different. We're not happy with that. We want to be this and we want to be this and I don't want to be this. I mean, now we're talking boys and girls. I mean, it's getting radically whacked. It's
1: okay? blurring, it's blurring oh, the differences, hey, and, and we're now not, we're not distinctive anymore. We're now.
2: That's right. It's a false version mix. of oneness. Yeah. See, I pray you'd be one. It's the false version of that.
1: And, you know, sorry, just as you were talking, you know, with, if, if there's a weak head, and it, it's always interesting to me that, you know, the closest thing connected to the head is the neck. And, you know, if we have the first, very first example of, of um, Adam and Eve, and the, the woman who is more easily deceived, and that's why it talks about, you know, the weaker vessels, more easily deceived, took the lead and had given back second hand information and he took it on as gospel and what happened? It led to death, spiritual death and so if we can imagine the world and and the way in which it's going where the neck is now turning the head whichever it wants to go that's a problem and it's going to lead to one thing and so the head has to be the head and strong and um, the neck follows the head you know, and the whole body moves with that as well
2: All we've talked about is about the bride getting ready. Okay, so I want to connect that to this morning's message. So everything we're talking about is our spiritual bridal preparation. If we don't enter into this pattern, we won't be prepared. We won't be made ready. This is the connection between all of this. Okay, so I just want to say that this is one and the same message.
0: Um, I was was just going to say, this is what we were talking about before, you know, there's, there's such an urgent necessity for us to understand the why behind what we're talking about. You know, I think so for many years, the church has had a bad reputation for being against things like gay marriage or against things like sex before marriage, you know, as opposed to actually... Why? Why is it that God has given the marriage covenant, and what is the prophetic picture that it represents? You know, because it's to me, it's like that's what's going to enable us to be able to stand and demonstrate the reality of His life here on the earth when things get dark. You know. Oh, so you're gonna...
2: well, just I, I thought you were going to take that a bit further. Like why? Like life, yeah. So why is because of life. So it's not about being against gay marriage. It's the reality of that doesn't produce life. If the design from the start before humans are born is if you want life, here's the created order that produces life. That's why it's so important. It's not we're against this, we're against this. It's that there's no life in that. That's not life because life from the designer is this, can you hear what I'm trying to say? We don't recreate the design. We surrender to the design and you get life. If you don't surrender to the design and try to recreate the design, you get death. That's why it's so important. It's not, oh, you're this and you're that. and you're. It's like, no, do you want life? You're dying. Everybody thinks that's going to produce life. You talk to these people and they're still miserable. But you can be in that also heterosexual too. So... You can be a Christian and not be in life because you're not under the design of life. You can't change design. It was designed before we ever turned up. Yeah. If you do that, then the creation is trying to be the creator. And you don't need another creator. There's only one. We're the creation. So we must know the design, surrender to the design. Why? So I can be in life. (laughs)
0: <laughs> just that <laughs> alright any last any last questions thoughts, comments, concerns yeah yeah <laughs> um, and you might not want to go there with this, us that, that's okay I'm
3: just, you know, the verses in Timothy that talk about how a woman should behave yes. yeah so I'm just kind of, because I think probably as a woman that a lot of the Talk of submission and women is around in the Christian context, and that you know, like it's come, it comes from that position of women not, you know, like women not being in leadership, women don't wear gold jewelry in their ears, or whatever. you know, and I kind of like, I don't get how we kind of the way that you're talking now feels like it ignores that. Not that I'm saying that I believe that that's the right way to be, but I don't understand how. That fits when we do have women in leadership and we do have women are allowed to pray and all of the things that we do do that in
1: Timothy it says we're not supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, do you want to read it out? Yeah. yeah. I think this is the verse you're talking about men and women in the church. So 1 Timothy um, 2, verse 8, same to 14. I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, right? So in like manner. So the men have have, have their uh, requirements, and then as women, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved (laughs) in childbearing. (laughs) If they continue in faith, love, holiness with self-control. Okay, so I'll tell you how I read this, right? I go... Um, A desire, therefore, men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands. In like manner, also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Okay? So, before Christ, I had a need to be seen. Mm -hmm. I would dress so I can be seen, so I can attract attention. Um, That was just a... It's a... (laughs) it's an innate thing in women that we desire the attention in lust, you know, um, and that can come from insecurities, that can come from rejection, I don't know. We can all have a, a myriad of reasons. It doesn't matter. It's a thing that is within us that looks for that attention. So I go, yeah, I'm free from that. I'm now free from no longer needing to dress a certain in a, probably inappropriately you know if i think what i'm saying is there's no no longer a desire to to find my security or my value or my worth in the attention of others that i need to stick out and be seen right and then it goes but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works so here it comes the demonstration it's like Adorn the gospel, so Christ in you as as woman, when we are demonstrating the good works, the works that are done in faith, the ones the works that are supporting our heavenly husband, the works that are um, in unity with god that 's what he 's saying he 's saying don 't don 't waste time making yourself look one way, spend time on On the inner, the godliness, the God you know, and use your time and energy. Spend and invest in supporting the one you love by doing good works in faith. Let women learn in silence with all submission. Again, I hear that and I go, yes, we need to learn to listen before we speak. Yes, we need to learn to sit and hear. Um, Not speak up again. I know that um, again before Christ. <laughs> how I feel, speak out. If it caused a riot, I'd do it. Um, I had this situation the other night. Kirsten was actually there. Me and Kirk had a bit of a, a bit of a. Ding dong. Thank you. <laughs> and um, he said something that I thought was inaccurate about me. And now it wasn't even I w- when he used my name. It was in a very small detail of his story. And now, usually, I would just let it go, and if it really bothered me, I'd bring it up later when it was just me and him, and just be like, hey, that comment you made, you know, I don't think that was quite accurate, but I just decided right there and there, in front of everyone, I was going to dig my heels in, and I said, no, that's not how it was, and he looked at me, and he went, that's how it was, and I went, no, that's not how it was, and it turned into this, and... You know, and anyway, and it, it was this real, and I, and then this look on his face changed, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to keep quiet now. Anyway, so I walked out the kitchen, and, you know, later that night, we, everyone had left because it was, you know, it was publicly in the kitchen, and, um, you know, and we went back and forth on who was right and his point and my point, but it wasn't until the next, oh, it was after that, and then I walked away and I thought, now, Melissa you didn't have to bring that up there and then. It wasn't like you didn't have to do that, but you chose to. And what was that? I thought, oh. You know, again, conscience crossed. I, I publicly, you know, went against my, my husband. And I didn't have to. I just, it was just, I just wanted to, you know, get my heels in. So anyway, the next day, after Kirk had thought about it, and Kirk wasn't sure why it had upset him so much, but he you know, he said to me, you know, it you disrespected me and you called me a liar. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he's like, You've never quite done that before and it hurts. And I thought, Wow, that's all it just takes that. sorry. Um
3: it's ugly. Um
1: and I know deep down, you know, I don't I don't want to disrespect my husband. I love him, you know, and it's like the respect is the bone of my bone. Like that's the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh, that oneness, you know. And it talks, again, you know, encompassing Christ, encompassing man, it talks about a protection and a surrounding him. And a, this is going way off topic, but I think where I'm going with that is Part of these relationships and these marriages and this learning in silence, again, it's it's really become a way of being for me before Christ. Is that I don't know it all. I don't always have to say what I think. I don't always have to speak out how I feel. Because a lot of the times I would be speaking out of emotion and how I feel and what I think. And to learn to listen and to incline the ear to the lover of your soul, and when I think about my husband, the, the the man who loves me the most in this world, that's an honor, that's a privilege, but that's for my benefit. So there is a... There is... That's a way of being now, is to, to learn... In silence, because you want to hear, and you know that the very word that God speaks to us in the silence is is the word that 's going to nourish us completely and is absolutely beneficial to us, and that we don 't know better. He knows better um, do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be silence again. man has been put. In leadership, as first and foremost, and it's it's a pleasure again to submit and hear, because I believe God speaks, and He's got an order and a design, and we benefit from that. It's not a threat; it's a it's a benefit, you know. Um, Jackie, I'm sorry, I don't feel like I answered that really directly, but
2: these are passages that I've wrestled with and still wrestle with. Um, when I look at the whole of this, I see women in position of leadership. Um, some of the faithful ones were the women while the blokes are out to lunch. Um, ultimately, and I apologise for a comment I made last Sunday night where I talked about women and the vote, Okay. The reason I apologise for that is because I was actually talking about something completely different mm-hmm. than Women in the Vote, which relates to this. Mm-hmm. And it just came out later on. I went, oh, idiot, shouldn't have said that, because I didn't give any context, any background behind what I was actually really saying. Mm-hmm. So I was actually not really talking about Women in the Vote. I was talking about spiritual oneness, mm-hmm. which is what this is about. Mm-hmm. The design for what we're talking about is that there's oneness and there is a head who covers the other one. So why do you need two people when the design is oneness? And the design is the male is the covering for the female because the male and the female are one. So the male was created first. So once again, you have to hear all this in the spirit. If you hear me in the physical, you'll get offended as a female. But it's a protection. It's a design issue. So when God says this, I believe what Paul is saying. Yes, there were cultural issues at the time. Yes, there are all these cultural things. But I do believe there's something deeper there as well around the design of the marriage covenant between a male and a female And the headship issue Which we Ugh! No, it's a beautiful reality Now, Mel is up here Speaking tonight But Mel is under headship So she's actually under her husband I know she's under my headship too She's under the She's an elder But she's also under a covering Okay, So there's tension in all this Because where does it all fit But when you look at the whole I see women everywhere leading, speaking and playing a part while at the same time I see these scriptures and I go, Holy Spirit, I need what that really means because if we're out of alignment, I want to walk in an alignment to you. I hope we're not. I really hope we're not. But I'm asking, I ask because I don't have full revelation of this yet. While at the same time, God has given me revelation of what it looks like as far as the oneness, which ultimately I believe this is where this sits. Mm. If we're actually one, it's not even about what how it reads. Mm. you Because know, you read that and you go, Ugh, it's not about that, it's about life. Mm. Because of the design. Now what happens if the men are all asleep? Traditionally and even now It's the women that are more on fire than the men So what do you do? Wait for the men to wake up And not use the women that are on fire? Don't know Stuck Do you know what I mean? And yet there's a role for both And so we have to see More than even just what's here And the Holy Spirit's the only one That can really reveal that And so it's something I wrestle with Because Yeah You know we've had women in eldership here You go other places Brethren Oh my goodness Me And yet that doesn't mean those men know the spirit That doesn't mean those men are surrendered to the spirit That doesn't mean you know anything because you're male It's a real tension You know So It's a bit of a mystery Holy Spirit knows
0: and yeah I think I think in a, you know the, like everything in God's design is for our benefit, eh? you know like like the, the intention is not to elevate men and to suppress women, you know I think to me in, in God's design there's, there is absolute freedom for a, 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 a woman to be able to ex, to freely express. Christ in her to the fullest measure you know what I mean it's you know that like everything in here is about empowering and not suppressing you know but but to me there's, there's something like it, it and and once again like like Greg was saying it, it's not just about the letters on the page but there's there's something deeper that touches on not just man and woman in the body of Christ but but in all relationships because I read those verses and I don't just think man and woman I think actually that When I hear that, I'm like, "That's what the nature of my relationship with with Greg and the other elders are to look like," you know, in, in terms of being submitted and coming under one another in love, and not speaking out of not speaking out of turn, and being able to honor and you know. And so it's it is from my perspective, it's much much bigger than just those things. Hey, you know, and are we are we comfortable? Am I comfortable? For actually, for Greek to be the mouthpiece and and not me, you know what I mean? Like, am, do I do I need a platform to express me and my ideas, or am I comfortable actually for the fellowship for you know that to walk in fellowship and for someone else to take the place of being able to actually share and minister, but actually from a heartbeat that's joint and connected? Do you know what I mean? Um, it's not a platform for my own expression. It's actually an opportunity for us to walk together and share in fellowship. That something would come forth, whether it's from Greg or Mel or whoever it is, actually that that's him, you know. Mm -hmm. So.
2: No, it is, but first place is spirit. so the spirit must define the physical aspects, and that's why you must be one with the spirit to understand how the physical functions. So it still is important. God has made us male and female. We don't throw the physical out and just go, "That doesn't matter. it does. okay. Personally, I don't get that from that scripture. But what Sam is saying is, I agree with as a pattern of scripture, and there are other scriptures. You know, it says submit to your leadership, submit to those in authority. Um, goes well for them. But that particular passage, the context, I don't believe is.
0: So I'm not. That. I'm not saying that that's what this verse is saying. So, but what I'm saying is that there's there's principles in there that relate not just. Men and women but,
2: sure. so. but is that what you're hearing yeah. Yeah, sorry.
0: yeah. So I feel like a better example would be The Ephesians passage because it talks About it talks about Husbands and wives and then It talks about slaves and masters And it talks about children And their parents you know It's probably a better example of what I'm Trying to describe you know it's like It starts off as you know, it, it talks about submit yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. And so here you see a multi layered, multiple different physical expressions, but the same underpinning heartbeat of what love and submission looks like expressed through multiple natural relationships. That does that does that make sense, you know? Does that do you agree with that? Oh totally.
2: See that was just discipleship right there. And that's what we pattern is that we help one another into the context. So I sense what Jackie was saying was what it was. You know, I'm hearing that. No, it's not that. And that's why, you know, we, we have to be very careful that we don't take this out of context. Let's speak to the context because what Sam was saying was absolutely true but through the verse he just gave then in Ephesians is a better verse to explain what he was saying because just of what happened right there, mm-hmm. which is right, which is good. And that's us working together.
4: Yeah. We set that up before, wasn't we? <laughs> You're welcome. great <laughs> question. Yeah. Pass the test, bro. There you go, mate. We, go. we modelled it.
0: Does anyone other than Jackie want to say something?
1: (laughs) What about some questions from men? Some men in the room. What are they hearing? Who's running this household, though? So you you thinking about something. Uh,
4: uh-huh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rodney's got a question. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to pressure <laughs> Joseph <laughs> in the middle the He has a
5: If I just add something to this passage that seems troubling but actually isn't in hindsight, it's actually rather simple. Mm. And I like what people was saying about the context of that passage. Because the key word in that passage is authority. And Paul's saying, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. Mm. That's the key issue is authority. It's not about teaching, because the context of women in that time is that they, they it was a very patriarchal society. So women were not able to teach and when, and this is what was so crazy about the gospel, the power of God's gospel of, of the word and the gospel coming out through all of Ephesus is that there was the city was such in such a change, such destroyed rambles that the whole city flipped up head. And now men and women who were actually subject to male quarters, women quarters, were now in a church which was one, and what he had was women in church, screaming at their husbands, what does he mean? What is he talking about? What's Paul? And when you get this, this, is, this and this is a beauty, so what Paul's actually giving to the church is a gift to hate. Women, just take it easy, it's all right, because the, the gospel was hitting everyone and men, women, were coming into this oneness, this alignment. And so the passage, when we look at, it, we, we, and this is what we'll do with flesh, we'll go, women shouldn't be teaching in church, but actually what, what Paul's speaking to us as a, 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 a specific, and I, I, I'm happy to be wrong, but I want to throw this out to, there too, Jackie, is that what he's saying to... <laughs> <laughs> what he's actually saying, what he's saying, and I, I'm happy to be corrected by the other this and, and, I, and I'll, um, I'm happy to come under that, uh, that album, but what, what Paul's actually saying, what he's saying to Timothy, is he's saying, and this, in the two thousand years ago, Patriot, this is a patriarch of hate woman, and, and who does Jesus give... These, just as Greg was saying, who does he give these truths to? He gives it to the woman. The two women at the, at the tomb, the woman that um, are that uh, the first to witness his resurrection and his power, it was woman. It was given to these women. So men had this, didn't like, and you even see it with Pilate. Who was it that, was, that had the revelation that Jesus had nothing to do with this man? It wasn't Pilate, it was his wife. Who was he to listen to? So if we take this passage and we go, well, um, that means women shouldn't teach, well, then Pilate shouldn't be under the teaching of his wife. Well, hold on, we've got a problem here. Mm-hmm. So, so Paul's not saying to Timothy, hey, women shouldn't be teaching. That's not what he's saying. The key thing, the key word that they, these guys were talking about tonight was authority. Women should not have authority. Why? Because we're coming under the one-wing authority of Christ. And so and so when we talk about authority, we're, we're referring to the marriage covenant of you've got you've got male, yes, in the physical sense, and that's gonna be a demonstration in the in the earth of of how we as the male represents Christ. Female, the wife represents the bride, which we're all to represent. And so when Paul when Paul's writing to the he it's just as simple as it is, is what Greg is saying. Just a contextual issue that. That the city of Ephesus was so it was so flipped on its head that it, 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 the gospel, the power of the gospel, had literally hit the hearts of men. And women, that they were no longer no, no longer secluded; they were actually coming together in the oneness. But they had this other problem where the women were too excited; they were too on fire, which is what Greg was talking about. And so he was like, "Hey, hey, hey cool, just just don't let that because they were uneducated. So you imagine you have a whole bunch of babies, and then." Going to the teachers, what's this, what's this, what's this? this?" And you've got all this this disorderly service, and this is what Paul's trying to create a place of where they can actually hear and and receive, then they're able to do what Mal was just describing to us, come into that in silence, and then there's power, and there's there's an an, an, um, an enabling to be a teacher in that realm. So that's what he's actually saying. So he's not not saying to the woman, don't teach.
4: Because
5: that's what, if you you read it with a flesh, you go, oh yeah, don't teach. But he was speaking to a specific context. Otherwise, otherwise Pilate, oh well no, Paul says later on you can't can have your wife what your wife teach you. But, but Pilate had his wife instruct and say, Do not touch this man, have nothing to do with this man. He is from the gods. Mm-hmm. So she had revelation, even though it was, you know, it was grace to her, and he had the chance to learn from his wife, but he did I'll wash my hands. No, you can't, you can't wash your hands on Jesus, you know? So, so, yeah, Christ, he, he gives it, and, and, and not that he just gives it to you, he gives it to a woman. So what is Christ saying? So, it's yeah, it's, sorry, I was actually going to put
2: that out. <laughs> that's confusing. <complicated. Yeah. laughs> sorry, let's <laughs> have <laughs> one last thing. So, yeah, the Great Commission you know, here is quite male, and I So, there you go. And we'll obviously do it. I'm you know? um, just going oh, that one person very yeah. under that authority, yeah? Paul <laughs> <So,
6: yeah. laughs> Osso. I was a to pick up, up on that the, the yeah, you know, what we've started right from the beginning and Greg has mentioned before about it, that this is like here's a picture of, of what this is about, it's gotta be lived out within a physical realm so that we can see it. So the the expression first is about uh Christ and the church. And now here's a picture for you. For this to be expressed out. Who was created first? We I mean, went right back and said, well, man was created first and then woman. Or well, who's the woman representing in marriage? Yeah, it's the church. It's, it's humanity in, in the church. So that includes man. So was before who came first? Man or God. So Christ comes first. The man's representing in fact that Christ comes first. Mm-hmm. And to live out this ways, Christ laid down his life, so man will you lay down, will mm-hmm. you play this, this part, will you represent me well Why mm-hmm. will you play the part, will you represent the church well, mm-hmm. because this is an example that is being expressed for humanity to see mm-hmm. and the, the whole thing you know, I, I don't want to say anything, you know, but, that I wrestled with these verses that before brought up for a while, especially on the eldership, came out of uh, of a Catholic upbringing. Everybody knows all priests are know. <coughs> and so there's, there's an a, a ingrained thinking there. Okay. I got saved, I went to, well, ended up going to a Brethren Assembly, I went to a Catholic Church, Just going to Brethren Assembly and going to Baptist Church at the same time. Okay. And so I kept relatively good smattering of different versions of what churches are like. But God called us out of the, of the Catholic fellowship and into Brethren Assembly. Bre- brethren Assembly, very patriarchal. Totally you don't actually even have, in a, in a very staunch Brethren, you don't even have a pastor. we are all brothers. And uh, and so there's, there's definitely no women on on, um, on eldership. And yet in this environment, I, I also was... Um, exposed to a, um, an expression of love I had never seen in, in all my upbringing within a Catholic environment. Mm. I'm not saying Catholic is bad or wrong, but, yeah, well, I'm not saying, saying that, that in that Catholic environment there was something that was moving in my spirit, it was crying out to God because the reality of Christ had been found. And that mm. as I as I called out and accepted them in my life, and the scriptures were, were being now made alive to me, called me out. So I went to the brethren anyway, and saw an expression of love that I'd never seen previously, physically being expressed to us. And yet there's also this this expression that wives could not be on fellowship, women could not be on fellowship. And then had moved from that environment and went to um, different assemblies or different churches that we um Fellowships that have been in, we came down here and then called on to the eldership here. And then came the time when it was the uh, other elders would be called on. And I struggled because I read that as black and white. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And, I re- and I read it and I thought, how can I reconcile this with the other elders who so were saying, yes, it's okay? Mm-hmm. And yet I'm reading this and I'm going, that's not right. That's not right. Mm-hmm. And yet there's something that is much greater in all of this. It is a much better way. And it's a way of love. And so that's not to try and compromise and, and, and water down his word, but it's allowed God to be God and for him to do a work within us and amongst mm-hmm. each other and express in our love for us just like it is with in marriage. Adam and I don't see to eye and don't get on with everything all the time, but is love a better way? To actually work through and he really specifically spoke to me about this area of women on worship in Philippians, and he says that if any of you think differently, God Himself will reveal that. And Paul can you walk and love. And let's work this out together and allow that. And uh, and so we did, and so we went on. And then it came to the point where we were, well, what happens now? Where do we? Now, who is right for what you're doing? But this time now. Now I know that God gave me a vision about oneness, but Christ is the head. And he specifically showed me that true oneness is, is being found in Christ. And he showed me in in my spirit body, coming up out of my physical body and going into him. As he was looking at, at our church, at our fellowship, and he was looking at us and what we were doing. And at the same time I turned and I saw Mel come up in a spirit body and also go into him. And as we as we came into his body, um, bear in mind this, this is in the spirit, right? So mm-hmm. I'm looking and I realize it doesn't matter. It's not male or female. It's not Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, Scythian. This is about his body.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And that we would look at each other and realize we're one. And that's what's possible. Yes. And we're able to turn around and then speak that to the others and be able to communicate that this the true oneness is not found as sort all of doing stuff together. It's actually found in Christ. He's the head. He's actually commanding the heaven why? I have function and true wellness and let him, let him reveal the scripture let him reveal let him bring us to life and let love be of the one thank
4: you there's one other aspect of
5: the controversial part of this or, or seems to be controversial is that it sounds like, you know, woman being told to submit and this is what we call, but often when we read this we don't focus on the male part of it, which is to love unconditionally, love them as you did love um, yeah, your wife. And so even if the wife is not being submissive, it's not saying if they if they're submissive, okay, then I'll, then I'll love them. It's irrespective of what the wife in the state are in, the love of the husband is Christ loved the church, when the church is rebellious or whatever else is, he still loves it. And it's that, um, yeah, there, there is a responsibility for the, 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 the husband to love, because it's that love that binds it together and holds the relationship together, even when you're going through the hard times. It? Mm.
2: It's loving regardless But see, only love can love regardlessly. And that's why I said this morning, love loves. It doesn't love based on anything. It loves based on itself. So when that love enters a male or female, you love. But there is an order, as Jeff is saying, in which this works. Christ first, the man second, the woman third. But actually it's a position of one. And that's why it must start in your understanding of what true oneness is, because only then can you see that order. If you try and start in the second place, that's the false start that we're talking about. Hence, I pray that you would be one with me so you view it through the lens of the Spirit. You have the same mind when it comes to everything you look at. You have the same intent, you have the same love because you view it through how I view it. So if some are looking through one and some are looking through two, there is division. And the two must repent and come into the one for there to be oneness. Hence the dynamic, you know, for this reason man shall leave his father and mother. You should leave all your physical relationships. And be joined as spiritually one. And that's the challenge because in a world where people are codependent on one another, where parents actually need their kids and follow their kids everywhere because they can't live without their kids, and the kids vice versa, and the kids don't want to leave home, and the parents don't want the kids to leave home, and the parents are loving the kids because they need the kids, and the kids need the parents. It's just a lust fest. And you're supposed to leave the physical It's not about leaving mum and dad. It's leaving the physical ties and be joined to the Christ. Mm. Then you can live. If you haven't been severed from the tie of the flesh, you can't live as Christ and enter into this reality because you're bound in the flesh. And that's what's so sad because, because we're not whole, and we need one another, we create these codependent relationships. And then it's just ugly because mother, daughter, son, mother, son, father, brother, grandparent, there's no freedom in that. It's flesh. And so only when we are whole can we actually enter into the reality and be free to love people the way God loves us, which is what Jeff is saying. So a male must have submitted and surrendered his life unto the Christ, received love, if he has any shot at being this. Same with a woman. So just as the male plays the role regardless, guess what, ladies? You're to play the role regardless as well. And it's not even about whether you're physically married. Because a single male is to play the role under the headship Mm -hmm. and a single female is to play the role under headship and that's when you get oneness. So if you bring physically the single people together and physically the married people together, it's irrelevant physically whether you're single or married because you're all one in the spirit. Mm -hmm. But if you are physically married, understand the reason for your physical covenant. The single person doesn't have to bother about the issues in the physical, but they are still under covenant to God. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. I'm trying to help you find an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Because if you get married without this knowledge, guess what? Your attention goes from here to here. And all of a sudden now this is your priority and vice versa, and you're more concerned about the concerns of your wife and your husband than you are the Christ. And so what you may have started with is now starting to wean, because your attention has gone from there to here. See how you've dropped your head, set your mind on the things above? No, I'm setting my mind on my wife. She now becomes number one, but she's supposed to be number two. He's supposed to be number one. And so this covenant, which isn't about this at all, which is about this, then it's about that. So it's an order thing. And this is why his prayer is, I pray that you are spiritually one. And John in 1 John, go read 1 John 1 to 7, talks about what true fellowship is. And there are obviously people not in fellowship because he invites them to have fellowship, which is oneness. Okay. So he talks about seeing, hearing, receiving the manifested eternal life, Christ. He says we touched him, we moved with him, and we speak of him so you can have oneness with us. Because at the moment, you're outside of the thing we invite you into. And this is the opportunity we get, is to be made one through the spirit of truth. Which, whether you're male or female, you have to surrender to. It's surrender doesn't matter whether you are male or female and then love and it's those two elements of sanctification isn't it sanctification of the spirit and faith in the truth I love you you surrender to me then the pattern repeats then the pattern repeats the pattern repeats and you get oneness <laughs> simple only two things you gotta do love, submit yeah man Easy. Oh.
0: Do you want to pray for us, now and we'll, we'll finish up?
1: Father, I just thank you for your ways. We truly love your ways. Your wisdom, your understanding, your ideas, your design, your creation, your purpose. Father, I just pray that tonight we, we heard your spirit in a personal way in each of our hearts. And I want to thank you for the gift of your son, who you sense with your pleasure and delight, to your people so that we can come to know you and to experience the reality of the personal resurrection of Christ's life death and resurrection in our own lives in our own hearts that, that you would not only just call us to to lay our lives down and to um, come to the end of ourselves but to give us a personal resurrection mouth to mouth nose to nose eyes to eyes and you would raise us up that we too would say that we take joy in suffering the same sufferings as you with the same glory I thank you that you are willing to share your glory with your bride I thank you for your ways and purposes I thank you that you have created us different, male and female, purely to demonstrate a complete picture of who you are. Mm. And God, I pray as your people we we would take it seriously, the differences, that the differences in function, but the reality of equality and oneness that is found in you. I pray for the married couples that you say that even though you're married, live as though you're single, wholly devoted to Christ. And if you're single, live as though you're married to Christ. I thank you that everything's been made in and through you, and everything we see and and don't see will be reconciled back to you. Give you all the glory, Lord, and we bless your name and lift you high, high above all things. In Jesus' name, amen.